are in our series entitled Strangers in a Strange Land, and we are nearing the runway of this series. We have two, uh, approximately two more sermons in it, then we'll have a little bit of uh, free, a couple free weeks, and then we're jumping into our new series entitled Consider Your Ways, as we'll be jumping into the Old Testament book of Haggai. Uh, and that's a short series, it's about five weeks, but we're tremendously excited as we look at what God is going to do through us in Haggai. And then we're jumping into our summer series after that entitled Rhythm, Finding Your Rhythm for Your Life. Now as I, I think about uh, rhythm and I, I think about how God has put us together, I mean we're pretty amazing creatures if you think about it. We've got all of these different systems we have the circulatory system, we have this, uh, the endocrine system, and all of these things are operating together. And it's amazing to me how God has designed us. It really is. And, and, and the more that I, I read, the more that I study, the more I'm amazed at just how the imprint of God is on so much of creation. There's an order to everything. It's amazing how things fit together and how God has made it, whether it be bees and all that they do and, and how, I mean, they, how they pollinate different things and how they're even arranged in their bodies and, and looking at different animal par- parts of the animal kingdom or even how uh, we are ordered or whatever it is. There's this amazing order that God has given to the world, this huge divine design that is across creation. And and. I, I'm amazed at that God has given us the ability to also design and put things together. Uh, I, you know, my wife is into these design shows, and I, I might have watched one <laughs> or two uh, occasionally. And I'm amazed at how people can take this space and make it beautiful. I mean, it, it, remember, remember uh, what was the, the improvement show? What was that improvement where the extreme home... Makeover and how they could take something and just totally transform it and bring order there. And people have a real gift for that. And I'm amazed at how not only designers can do that, but how even certain people have this in almost an innate ability to know how things work together. Like, like mechanics. I, I don't understand a car. I couldn't figure out what was in it, which is a shame because my father was a mechanic. And I have no idea to find anything. I'm, I'm one of those guys that are like, yeah, that looks bad. That looks bad. You're not even looking at the engine. I know. You know, there's this amazing order that goes there and how it all fits together for a certain reason. You know, God has put his church together to fit in a certain way. That he has placed a divine design, how the church is to, to go together and how it is to operate. And Peter is showing us, through his word, how he has set the church to function. He's given certain leaders for it. And not only has he given these leaders, but he's given us, the, the rest of us, how we are to respond and live with these leaders that God has given for our benefit to help maximize our joy in God to minimize the presence of sin in our life, and to maximize doing what God wants us to do and pursuing His will for our lives. And that is what we are going to look at today, how God has designed His church and set in position certain leaders to help lead the church to do what He wants us to do. But before we go any further, let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time together, shall we? Our Father, we enter into Your presence humbly knowing that we are nothing in and of ourselves. Lord, that we only what we have and who we are is all because of you and your hand. We pray your blessing in our message time today. We pray 
Lord, that you open our eyes to receive this, to see this truth and open our ears to hear what it says and open our hearts to go and do what it is that you have called us to do through your word. Lord, we have a propensity to rebellion, to turning away from you. Lord, you've given us this divine design for your church, and there are times that we are rebellious in our hearts and want to declare and anarchy into this world. But Lord, you have set it up that we can function properly and with fullness of joy in a body of believers that you have set aside and put leaders in, char- leaders in, in position of to help lead your people that they might walk with you in spirit and in truth in the most joyous and wondrous way possible. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So stay with me. Um, follow along in your notes if you have some. Uh, they are in your bulletin. And also keep this handy. This is the Elder's Covenant. I'm going to be referring to this. This was a, a little fold, in, uh, a little inclusion in your uh, bulletin. I'm going to be referring to this in a little bit. But um, I want us to jump into Peter as we're going to see what he has for us and how God wants us to follow this design. Now let's look off, start off with verse 1. This is Peter. Remember, Peter is writing to the people that are, um, the, the Christians that are scattered over the known world. And he's telling them, and as we've looked without the, throughout this book, that we are strangers in this world. And he is reminding them that they are strangers. But even though you are strangers in this world, you're not isolated. You're put into a body of believers, other strangers, if you will. And God has even put up leaders to help you in your walk with God. Now, Peter starts off this way in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, exhort there means beseech, encourage. And he, 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 Peter is, is exhorting these elders, and then he gives a little bit of his own credentials. Now, what I love about this is he starts off with the elders among you as a fellow elder. In Greek, that's sum presbyteros. And what he's saying there in that is that I'm a fellow elder with you. Now, he could have pulled out the apostle credentials. He could have said, I'm the apostle, you do what I say. You ever, you ever have anybody like that and it says, I have the title, you don't stop right now, just listen to me? That's not what Peter does. He comes alongside, he goes, I'm a fellow elder. I mean, this is Peter. This is the man who walked on water. This is the guy who got to see Jesus transformed on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is the one that Jesus said to, you, to him upon this rock, uh, and he's giving them this instruction, I'm going to build my church. And he's talking about, he's using Peter's name as a play on words there to talk about how he's going to build his church. But Peter is, I mean, one of the, the leaders of the apostles, and he just identifies himself with everybody else. All these other leaders. He says, I'm a fellow elder just like you. I have responsibilities just like you. I'm not above you. I'm right there alongside you. It shows the humility that Peter has. And then he, he goes on to say, I mean, he does pull out a little bit and showing who he is. He says, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He was there. So that gives him a little bit of cred, but he doesn't say, I'm an apostle. He just says, I'm coming alongside. I am a leader with you, and I'm going to give you some instructions on what the church and how it's supposed to be. He also says, I'm a fellow partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. What he's saying is, is that I have the same, the same destination you do. I'm going to be partaking of this glory when Christ comes again, just like you are. We are equal in that regard. 
So he comes alongside, and he identifies with the people, showing that he is right there with him, and he, he exhorts them. And who is he exhorting? He exhorts the presbyteros. That's what it is in Greek. It means elder, denotes the officials who acted as pastoral leaders of the congregation. Now notice in verses 1 and 2, he uses three major words relating to the pastoral office. There's elder, presbyteroi, this is the plural form, shepherd, poimeno, and exercising oversight, showing their responsibility, and that is episkopos, from which we get the word episcopal and sometimes used as bishop. Now all three are used here as synonyms describing the pastoral office. It describes the position and the responsibilities. Now the term presbyteros simply means one who is older, but older can refer to 40, to 60, depending on who's defining the term. And also can refer to the, the designation of being older, who is one who has a wisdom of one who is older and given a responsibility that is traditionally given to those who are older and exer- exercising oversight. Now, Peter addresses the leaders of the church and how they are supposed to live, behave, and perform their function. Now, if we are to maximize our enjoyment in God and minimize the presence of sin, then it involves embracing his design for his people to the church, and that means recognizing God's calling for an elder. Recognizing God's calling for an elder. Notice verse 2 for a moment, would you? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. See, God appoints certain men to lead, shepherd, love, and teach the flock of God. We see this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 14. And he gave, this is God, God gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He goes on and says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. We see that God gives elders for your benefit. God places men in position to help you in your walk with Jesus Christ, to come alongside you, to help you, to instruct you. And this is not something that we just came up with. We see that God established this, and we see the early church doing this. Look at Acts chapter 14, verse 23. When they, the apostles would plant churches, they did this. And when, excuse me, they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they have believed. So God calls these men and puts them in a position to help the flock of God. And it's definitely a calling. And it's a calling that is high. It's a high calling that God gives to these men. That's why there are certain qualifications for an elder. Not anybody can be an elder. No one can just show up one day and go, hey, I, can, I want to be an elder. Just because someone could be successful in the secular world does not mean that God has placed them in the position of elder in the church. You can be president of the United States and quite possibly may not be allowed to be an elder in a church. Seriously. That's why the qualifications for an elder are given within the scriptures as 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 through 7 is laid out for us. The saying is trustworthy. 
If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now notice the word, this, the word aspire. In Greek, it literally means desiring. It's something innate within the person, this burden that they have that they, they want to do. I remember being at my church in Chicago, and we were voting on elders. And they asked this one man to be an elder. He was an older man. He'd been there for quite some time. And yet, he stood up in front of the congregation. He goes, vote for me or not, I don't care. And he sat down. He didn't have any desire to be an elder. He wanted to go to Florida and retire. That's what he wanted to do. And, and one young lady who was a student of Moody, God bless her, she stood up and she goes, um, it says in the Bible that you should want this job. <laughs> if you don't want it, you shouldn't be in it. It's true. Don't fill a position just because there's a need. One of the things that happen, and this doesn't just refer to elders, it refers to any type of leadership position that we see there's, there's a need and we think we have to fulfill it. Now, I like what Oswald Chambers said, and he put it this way, and it's not on there. He said, the need is not the call, but the call might be the need. The need is not the call, but the call might be the need. In other words, there might be a need that happens in the body, but you may not be called to that position. Don't fill it just to fill it, because if you're not gifted to do it, it's going to hurt you, and it's going to frustrate everybody around you. But the call that you have on your life might be a need that the church really needs, has. So you see what I'm saying? The need is not the call, but the call might be the need. Pretty wise words from Oswald Chambers. Now he goes on and he says, is a noble task. Therefore, an overseer, that's another word for elder, for pastor, these words are used as synonyms of one another, must be above reproach, doesn't mean he's perfect, and this means in his current state, not that he's never done anything wrong, because no one's ever done that except Jesus himself, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And Peter's going to come back to this concept that Paul is introducing here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how can he care for God's church? If his house is a complete mess in reference to his children, rebellion, and his, it, everybody's out of control, then he can't manage the church of God. He must not be a recent convert. He must have some maturity, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. He goes on. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, we see here that God calls an individual to this position. And it's not an easy thing. It is, I mean, it's a very high task. But as Charles Spurgeon, who is known as the Prince of Preachers, said, if you can do anything else, then be an elder, then do it. He said this, if you can do anything else but preach, do it. But if God calls you to be a preacher, don't stoop to be a king. They once asked him that. Why don't you be the prime minister of Great Britain? He said, why? That would be stepping down. Because of the task that I have is a divine task. He recognized that. So that's what we say for an elder. It's not something that is a prestige thing. It's not a power thing. Some guys go into that position because of that. They go into it because of their desire to have prestige, power, or it could be a, a propensity toward prosperity. That's not what God desires. God desires that they do it because of the passion that is within them. They can't but help do it. So we see then that this calling that God has for elders is a high calling, and it's also a very hard calling. 
It's a hard calling. It's very hard. That's why he says, shepherding the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. As an elder, you come into people's lives, it's sometimes at the worst moment. It means helping broken marriages, dealing with rebellious children, various addictions, situations that are beyond your ability to understand. Um, it might be a tragic death, suicide. It could be some type of financial collapse. It could be a, abuse of some sort. It's almost like an elder is positioned to be a trauma doctor in an ER. You never know what's going to come through that door. No idea. It's a very hard calling. So it's a very high calling. It's a very hard calling. It's also a very humbling calling. It's a humbling calling. Shepherding someone, some people think, well, are you better than me? No, I'm not. I'm here to serve. And it's the example of Jesus who is known as the good shepherd. He's also known as the great shepherd. And he's also the chief shepherd. And it's showing then that Jesus humbly served, so are elders to serve the body of Jesus Christ. So it's a high calling, it's a hard calling, it's a humbling calling, and it also is an honorable calling. It is an honorable calling. Look at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You know, in verse 4, we have his appearance, also known as his second coming. When the word there means the chief shepherd, the master shepherd, when he comes, he will bestow an unfading crown of glory upon the elder who, or the, these elders. Now, this crown that he's referring to was the customary crown given and displayed in athletic contest, con, uh, contest and it was kind of a semicircle, a ring of laurel leaves that would be placed upon the victor. Imagine it's like a gold medal in the Olympics. They would receive this award or a reward or condemnation from Jesus himself for what they have done. Now, it's unfading, though. Like the laurel wreath in the ancient world, the leaves would crumble. But here it's saying it's an unfading crown of glory. God will honor those who serve him as elders. But serving as an elder is not easy. It is, it, I mean, he has a responsibility. Uh, he has a calling to serve and a charge to dispense. And we can see that if we are to fulfill the, God's design for his church, that involves an elder fulfilling his charge. He's filling his charge. An elder has a charge to take care of the sheep. That's why Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. It's in the imperative form. It's, a, it's an unction that they have, exercising over sight. See the word shepherd there, it's an aorist imperative active, which means that it is a command to shepherds God, God's people. It's in the aorist tense, which means that it's unqualified past tense of a verb without reference to duration or completion of the action. In other words, it's active and it's ongoing, and it doesn't just have a certain per, a period of time where it begins and it ends. It's to be ongoing. And for him to fulfill his charge, it requires him, first of all, shepherding the flock. Shepherding the flock. It's the, it's the analogy or the picture of the very people of God. The shepherd, the flock of God. Now, I want you to look at this sheet. This is what our desire is. Uh, I asked you to hold on earlier. This is what we as elders have covenanted to do. Now, we've not been perfect at this. And I have to say, it's not just the pastor. Let me say this again. Here at, our, at Village Bible Church, we don't have a senior pastor. We have elders. And all of the elders are equal completely equal in authority. 
my, my, uh, my position, I am the, the man, one of them who is leading and preaching and teaching, but my authority is as equal as the other elders. Now, I might have greater influence just because of my position, but our votes are all equal. And we at our church, Village Bible Church, we have local elders of each campus, men that are elected from the body that are called to oversee the shepherding needs of each campus. And then from our group of people, we elect guiding elders that oversee all three of our campuses. And now we at Village Bible Church as elders have covenanted to do several different things. And you could take a moment to read that when you have time. Not now, because I want you to listen to me. But we do have some goals that we want to draw to your attention. Now, again, we're not perfect in this. We're, this is what we're trying to do, and we're going to make mistakes. We're going to mess up. We are human. But these are our goals that we are reaching for and that we want to do. Our shepherding goals are here. We are to lead, feed, heed, guide, discipline, support, and protect the flock of God. Now, if you are an attender here at BBC, we consider you shepherded when, number one, you have an opportunity to hear a clear presentation of the gospel, profess Christ as Savior, and be baptized publicly. It's in the yellow text box is what I'm reading from. You have an opportunity to attend a membership class where our doctrine and philosophy of ministry are explained clearly. Your questions are answered openly and with sensitivity, and you have had the opportunity to join the church. You have the opportunity to engage in corporate worship with the body at least weekly. Number four, you are receiving a steady diet of biblical teaching, both on Sunday morning and at other studies during the week. Number five, you have access to personal discipleship, whether one-on-one -on -one or in a small or large group. Number six, you have access to counsel and equipping concerning your spiritual gifts and callings with opportunity for training and practical ministry skills. And number seven, you have the opportunity, once equipped, to engage in some sort of meaningful ministry. So if you're just a attender here, we're going to try to look out for you. But it's ratcheted up, and our attention is mainly on those who have committed to membership. And we can see that in the next series of numbers, 8 through 16. You have regular access to information concerning the direction of the church, leadership decisions, and specific information concerning various church ministries as appropriate and to vote on items that are brought before the membership. You have access to the church leadership team for the purpose of registering questions, complaints, concerns, and suggestions. Number 10, you are prayed for regularly and have the opportunity to be involved in corporate prayer on a regular basis for others. You have access to our, our prayer uh, prayer chain. I couldn't think of the word. Chain. Prayer, prayer chain. You have access to counsel and guidance concerning the major areas of your life, your walk with God, your marriage, family, job, finances, and other decisions. You have access to leadership in times such of need as funerals, weddings, etc. You have opportunity to have regular supportive fellowship on a small group context and are held accountable for it. You are checked on regularly for information regarding needs and concerns and are able to regularly, regularly share them with a member of the leadership team. Fifteen, you are protected from defection from the faith by regular exposure, exposure of false doctrine through teaching and by being held accountable for your daily walk with Christ. And number sixteen, you are held accountable, admonished, and confronted, and even disciplined if necessary for your sake and for the sake of the body. Now we take this seriously, and it's not just me that's doing this and other staff. These are the elders. Now as elders, we assign people to different what we call flock groups. And each elder oversees a flock group that is usually made up of two small groups. And that's how we do our shepherding. Now, 
many of you have grown up in, a ma- in, in, a, in an era that are a little bit older where there was a senior pastor and the senior pastor did all the visitation and all the hospital visits and things like that. But that's not a biblical model. The biblical model is a plurality of men that have been given to do it. So if, if Scott Brown is one of our elders or Jonathan Winsloff or myself are doing that task, it's not just me. It's all of these men that are coming together to shepherd you. And we consider you shepherded when we do one of those things. We are to be shepherding the people of God, which means we also, also, are, also are to be exercising oversight. That's what it means, to be shepherding and then exercising oversight. He says that in the next part, exercising oversight, which means watching over you, guarding against false doctrine, leading you, helping you make decisions for your life coming alongside you to make sure that, there's, that you're not going into false doctrine. Because false doctrine is everywhere. It's not just in the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witness. It's at Walmart. And it's on TBN. Let me say that very, very clearly. Not all Christians are the same. Jude warns us of this. He says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. What that means is his elders are to be on guard to these people that are coming in like wolves. And they might look great, because remember, Satan likes to masquerade as an angel of light. He knows the words. He knows the language. He knows Scripture better than any of us in this room. He knows it, and he uses it and distorts it. He totally distorts it. That's why we have to read and study the Word of God to find out what it means, because he can easily take it and transition it. I mean, think about it. When you take truth and you combine it with a lie, what do you get? A bigger lie. What do you think Mormonism is? It's a big, giant lie because it looks moral. It looks great on the outside. They're pro-family. They have Jesus in him, or at least they, they refer to Jesus. They talk about the Bible, but they don't believe the Bible. They believe the Book of Mormon interpreting the Bible. They set up a different Jesus, a different Christ than what the Bible has. That's why we have to be on guard against False teachers, because they are everywhere. And these people get into the flock, and they can destroy an entire church. In my church in Chicago, we had a man that got caught up in a sect that he found online. Next thing I know, he's coming to me and presenting all of these printouts that he had from this website. He was really concerned that we were going to hell, and he, and he was reading all the stuff from this website. And I'm reading it, and I'm like, how can anybody possibly believe this? And I rebuked him. He sat in my office for three hours. And didn't give me one shred of biblical support. And even when he did, it was way out of context. And I, I confronted him, and I, and I thought, I wasn't an elder at the time. I was, just, uh, I, was a, I was a youth pastor. And I confronted him about it, and he didn't like what I had to say. So he went to the elders, and I thought, oh, the elders will be able to notice this very quickly. And many just believed him. And that, because they didn't understand doctrine, and some of them had got in positions that they weren't qualified to be in, therefore, the church, the saints started to get nervous because some believed it. So by prayer, by continuing to go back to the Word, confronting with the truth, it was exposed, 
Those people left, and some of those elders resigned, and God preserved his sheep. But false doctrine can permeate very, very quickly within the church. And it's interesting. I, I've been, this past week, in studying for this sermon, I started looking at the con- characteristics of sheep. Why does God use that metaphor to describe his people? And I understand now. I totally understand. For one, we have a herding instinct. We need to kind of be together, and, and, and we need to be protected. Sheep are, by themselves, they're, they're not very good by themselves. You don't hear about a lot of wild sheep. You know, you hear about wild boar and tigers. You don't have the sheep. <laughs> you just don't have the sheep attacking and charging people very often. You know? And because sheep are, 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 are I mean, they're, they're targets. I mean, it's, it's walking lamb chops everywhere you go. And the tiger's like, mmm, that's good, you know. And, and as sheep, we got to be on guard because predators are all around. And the shepherd has to lead the sheep. Now, the majority of a sheep's time is spent doing what? E- I don't even have to tell you the answer. You all know. Eating. It is. Now, they can eat a lot of different things, but if, sometimes if they're not eating the right things, they'll eat the wrong thing. Now, as, as believers, we're designed to eat the Word of God. But many of us, if we're not, finding, if we're not under the pure teaching of the Word of God, we're going to eat spiritual junk food. That can be poisonous. And that's what many of these false teachers are offering up. We're to be exercising oversight of of the saints to make sure they're not eating wrongly. That's why I like this. I'm going to share this uh, little, uh, I I was talking about TBN. And like I said, there's a lot of false teachers out there. And I'm so grateful for this song that came out. I'm not a huge rap guy. Yo, yo, I'm just not me. Okay. But there's this song by a guy named Shy Lin who is a, a Christian rapper, and he had this song that just recently came out called False Teachers. And he names false teachers in the song. I mean, he spares, I mean, he spares nobody. And this is just some of the lyrics from it. I'm not going to rap it for you or I'll be fired. But in the spirit of Jude 3 and 2 Peter 2, and I know that some of you will label me a Pharisee because today the only heresy is saying that there's heresy, which is really smart, by the way. He says, how dare they be specific and drop some clarity on the popularity of the gospel of prosperity. Turn off TBN. The channel is overrated. The pastors speak bogus statements financially motivated. It's kind of like a pyramid scheme. Visualize heretics Christianizing the American dream. Very true. Just because a guy stands up in church and says, this is my Bible. I have what it says I have. That I said I do. Remember Satan masquerades as an angel of light. He knows the word. And this stuff is being put into all the nations around us. There's false teaching abounding, and people think this is Christianity. Jesus' goal is not for you to have your best life now. That doesn't mean a Mercedes, a bigger house. His desire to you is to take up your cross and follow him. And then God gives these men, these elders, to help us. Pastors have to be on guard like everyone else, though. Elders are not to be in it for the money, because that's what these guys are in there. Yes, the Bible says that elders are to be financially compensated, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, as 1 Timothy 5.17 says. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. But that shouldn't be their motivation to go into the ministry, and if it is, we have to know that God's going to judge them accordingly. All of this is to say that an elder must be checking his motives. 
checking his motives. Some guys go into the ministry for the prosperity factor. Other guys go into it for the prestige factor. These are the guys who like to say, look at me, I'm an elder. I'm an elder. I'm an elder. There's others that go in for the power factor. They like to walk around and say, you're in sin. I'm an elder. You listen. Thinner, thinner, thinner. Yeah. These are, the elders are designed to come alongside in a spirit of love and truth to help bear the burden and share who Jesus is and to, and to live their life in such a way that it's worthy of emulating. That's why Peter says, be an example unto the flock. See, if we're to make sure that this design comes into a reality, then it means being an example. That's why I like what Paul said. And this is what it means to be an example. He says this, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In other words, follow me. I'm going to pursue Christ, follow me. doesn't mean that they have everything perfect in their life, but it means that they're, the trajectory of their life is following, is following Jesus. There's a humility, there's a respect, there's a willingness to learn. Now, we've talked a great deal about God's design for his church and how the elders are to lead, but we've overlooked one crucial thing, and that's how the sheep are to follow. How the sheep are to follow. In our small groups, we emphasize all this stuff about elders, but we fail to realize that the elders are to do this. Yes, but the sheep have a responsibility as well. That's why Peter says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And then he says this, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Interestingly enough, both of those are commands given to the flock of God. It's a command. It's an imperative. And we have to be responding to the Bible's commands. If we're going to be following God's design for the church, then it means responding to the Bible's command. Now, we see here that he's saying, he starts off with likewise. He's giving instructions now to the rest of the people. Now, this might seem silly, but we can't follow the Bible's command if we aren't, to, if we aren't together. And that requires us being in attendance. Let me just say that right off. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. But the idea is, is it, he, he even says how we are to treat one another. Notice, responding in humility to one another. I can't do stuff with one another if the other is not here with the other. It takes two of us. You have to be with the body. It means being in attendance. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. Not neglecting it, as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and what? All the more as you see the day approaching. Now, does Peter say we are in the last days or not? Are we in the last days? So the day's drawing near. So should we be neglecting to meet together? We should be meeting together. Now the summer's coming. I know that many of you have a lot of extracurricular activities. You'll be traveling. There'll be other things going on. But you still need to make worship attendance a priority. A priority. If you have small children, let your children see how much of it a priority it is in your life. Is it a priority? Being in attendance with the greater body. Now, I'm not saying you do it as some means of righteousness, but it is a desire of your heart to be together and be the body of Christ. So it means being in attendance. Now, Peter says to those who are younger, he's referring to literally young men, because younger men have a tendency not to listen to older men. 
right? It's that, you know, your kids listen to you when they're 9, 10, and usually around 11 or 12, something happens. You become dumb as a parent, and that usually lasts till about 22. <laughs> and then suddenly they wake up at 22, 23, and they go, wow, they're pretty smart. It happens around that period of time. So kids, listen to your parents. And also listen to the elders. Be subject. Literally means to submit oneself to the elders. And that involves having then the right attitude. The right attitude. See, we are to be together, clothing ourselves with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We are, need to be willing to listen, not being proud, showing oneself above others, proud or arrogant. See, the proud person is puffed up, arrogant, always comparing himself or herself to others and trying to promote themselves rather than the name of Christ. But the proud person always falls flat. I'm reminded of that in the story that Tony Evans told about this uh, plane that had on it a Boy Scout, a minister, a computer whiz, and the pilot. And the plane started to get ready to go down, and they realized that it was going to crash. And they're, they, they're going to have to jump, but there's only three parachutes. So the pilot grabs the first parachute, and he goes, I have a wife and four kids. i got to take it. So he jumps, he jumps out. And then the computer whiz says, I've got all this information that the world needs to hear. I need the parachute. So he grabs, this, he grabs, grabs a, a bag, and he grab, puts it on and jumps out. And then the minister grabs a little boy, and he goes, son, I've lived a life. Here, you take the last parachute. I want you to live. The little boy says, or the Boy Scout says, it's okay. There's a parachute for both of us. He says, what? He said, yeah, the computer whiz grabbed my backpack. <laughs> See, when we're proud and full of ourselves and our own achievements, we fall flat on our face. God's given us the provision that we need if we are humble and we do what he desires us to do. Clothe ourselves with humility is what the text says. It literally is strapping on an apron like a servant would. That's what it literally means, clothing ourselves with humility. And it's a picture of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Us having the same attitude as Jesus did, as it says in Philippians 2, that he, we are to have the same attitude of Christ himself had, who didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but took on the form of a servant, humbling himself, even to the point of death on the cross. We're to have the right attitude to one another, not thinking we're better and we need all the power and the prestige and all these likes in our life. You have to like me, but we need to have, be humble considering one another better than ourselves. It also means that we need to be submitting to God's appointed authority. That's what God's desire for his church is, is to submit to God's appointed authority. Anarchy is not what God designed. We as Americans have this independent streak of doing things ourselves and being laws unto ourselves, where we become the sole arbiters of what is true. That, and that means there's a degree of trust that's there. And that's a hard thing for us. But we're to be submitting to our leadership and our elders with those who are in authority. We see this brought out in Hebrews chapter 13. Why? It's for, it's for our benefit. See, this in Hebrews 13, 17, as the scripture says, is it there? It's not there. So Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. 
In other words, we're to obey our leaders and to do it with joy. Why? To help make their job easier. To make their job easier because they have to give an account for your life. That's scary, elders. I have to give an account for your life and yours and yours. That's pretty freaky. We have to give an account. Now, it means responding to authority, but it also means for you that you need to accept accountability. You have to allow elders to speak into your life. You have to allow other believers, period, to speak truth into your life. But elders especially. Because they're looking at you not to beat you down, not to show how good they are, but to come alongside to make you better. I remember when I first entered in this, uh, entered in this position. Um, I came on with a chip in my shoulder. You didn't see that, but I think the other staff did, and some of the elders did. And I remember meeting with Keith Duff, who's our executive pastor. He's at our Sugar Grove campus. He's on a sabbatical right now. And they said you needed to be meeting with him. And I'm like, I don't need to be. I've been in ministry longer than Keith has. And I have to give in a report to Keith? Why is that? And at first, I didn't like it. But the more I, I did, I was forced to do it. I hated it. But the more I did, I realized that Keith wasn't there to, oh, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, you're doing this wrong. He was there to make me better. He was there, his desire was to see me succeed. And he was gifted to do it. And when I saw the, his love that he had, it changed my perspective. Then I wanted to do it. I'm like, how can I be a better pastor? How can I be a better servant? How can I be a better leader? And it was the Christ-like shepherding that he had in his heart that made me want to be a better follower of Jesus, to be a better leader. It wasn't him exerting authority. It was him coming alongside, coming, I'm with this, I'm in this with you. It's, it's one of the, uh, like a pitcher, looking to another pitcher going, hey, tweak your fastball, you're going to be better. I'm not here to make myself a better pitcher. I'm here to make you a better so you can, you can have better strikes and we can win the game. See, that's what the elders are for, to help you be better at what God has gifted and purposed you to do. So it'll maximize your joy in God and minimize the presence of sin in your life. It's not to beat you down, but to build you up. To be the person that God has purposed and desired you to be. And that means accepting accountability. And it takes a level of humility to open up like that. That's why Peter ends, the, ends by quoting the proverb. Look at verse 5 with me. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Is he speaking to the younger people? But then he addresses everybody. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. That's why they need to be together. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. For those that are willing to humble themselves in this way, God gives grace. See, if we truly live this life, experiencing the breathtaking beauty of this divine design, then by humbling ourselves, God will give us grace and favor in His sight. That's a wonderful thing. When God pours forth grace like rain, just like that song we sang, grace like rain flowing down on me. I don't know about you, but I'm always in need of grace. God's grace is sufficient for us. His power is made perfect in our weakness. And God gives grace. He gives His unmerited favor to those who fulfill or seek to fulfill this divine design that He has purposed us to, to, to be and to do. So it requires a level of humility. 
It requires us being accountable, submitting to the authority that is there, and living our life, and, and not despising the instruction that is given to us, but listening so that we might increase in joy in God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you looking at this divine design, how you've orchestrated your church, how you've set it up, how you've put in place these elders, and then underneath that of deacons, and then to, to serve your people, and how even how you've gifted each one of the sheep within your flock with certain spiritual gifts that are indispensable for the operation of the greater body. Lord, you've div- divinely made each one of us and designed us for a purpose, and that's to give your name glory, each in our own way. But Lord, you've given us these shepherds to come alongside us to help us in our walk with you. Lord, I pray for our elders. I pray that you continually touch them, that you keep them reminded of the task that you have entrusted to them and Lord, or, or us. And Lord, I pray for those that you are touching to step into that position of elder, that you have placed that conviction on their heart to serve your name. Lord, I pray that they might enter into that task boldly and with joy. And Lord, for those of us who are, are not elders, help us to be able to be submissive to the leaders that you've placed within your body, not as a means of humiliation, but a means of exaltation, of celebration, that we might maximize our joy in you and minimize our presence, the presence of sin in our lives. So Lord, please use us. Glorify your name in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.